1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here... We explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today I have Michelle Neff Hernandez on the show. Michelle is the author of Different After You and a 2021 CNN hero, a gifted speaker and committed advocate for the widowed and bereaved. Her creation of Camp Widow and Soaring Spirits has brought her international acclaim. Michelle regularly speaks to first responders hospital workers, religious congregations, and diverse community organizations. She lives in Southern California. Welcome, Michelle. Such a gift to be here. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much for everybody who has supported the podcast. So there's so many ways you can support the podcast and the work that I'm doing. One, you can spread the word about the podcast. So share the podcast with someone you know repost my anything on social media if you are a therapist listening to the podcast and you have a client who you think would benefit share it with them this podcast has grown completely organically it is all because of you all sharing the podcast and we are coming up on a million downloads which is amazing other ways that you can support the podcast is through patreon so if you would like to become a patron you can go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins. You can find different tiers to support the podcast at the 5 10 or $20 level or any other denomination. And My $20 supporters do get once quarterly Zoom calls with me. They've been fabulous. For a while, I was doing them for all the supporters, but now I am closing that down to just the $20 a month supporters. I really want to honor those who are really committed to supporting the podcast. And I'm so grateful if you benefit from the podcast, if your life has shifted or changed as a result of the podcast, please help me continue to help you have on these great guests. Also, follow me on Instagram, Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from my listeners, trying to do my best to be quick to respond. And lastly, rate review and subscribe that is super important i also love reading the reviews so you can rate the podcast but you can also review the podcast thank you all for all of your support for all of your love for all of your helping to collectively raise the consciousness of this planet i am so incredibly grateful. so can you start by telling us your really tragic story of how you became a widow Yeah, um, it was
2: a regular Wednesday, (laughs) and so um, it was the first day of school. My kids, I was, uh, my, my Philip Hernandez is my husband, and we were blending a family, so we had each come to our relationship with three kids, and it was my three kids' first day of school, and so I was doing first day of school things um, he was a devoted cyclist. He loved cycling. And so he was out for his regular Wednesday ride with a a good friend of his. Um, I was home cooking dinner and at the time I was a personal trainer. So I was looking over notes and the phone rang and, um, I almost didn't answer it, but something pulled me to the call and I was told that he had been hit by a car. Um, and so, you know, in that kind of shocked space, I thought, Oh, well, if they're calling me, Then he must, you know, just need to go to the hospital. It didn't ever occur to me they would call me and 911. And so I was surprised to discover when I got to the scene of the accident that it was much worse than I had imagined. Um, And he died an hour later. So he was two months away from his 40th birthday. And I was 35. Um, In fact, that very day, I had just signed a contract for the party venue for his um, first ever birthday party because he had never had a birthday party in 40 years. And I was like, okay, we're going to fix that. So, um, 40 was supposed to be the big party. And uh, it turned out to be a very different day than I anticipated.
1: So, where did you go from there, from that point? And how did you end up really making? making a life from being a widow yeah which Which I never would have imagined
2: um for sure if anyone had told me that five years before I was widowed I would have thought you were completely crazy um yeah I didn't know anybody else who was widowed and so I always tell people it's kind of uh ironic that I ended up starting an organization of support for widowed people because I was so well supported I had a great family I had great community support great friends um the only thing I didn't have was any widowed people and all I wanted like everything I was doing people you know around me were trying to be supportive and um thinking is that normal And because I didn't know the answer and they didn't know the answer, it felt like, uh, you know, nobody knew what was normal. And so the only thing I could think of was there's got the only people who know are other people who've done this. And so I went on this kind of quest to find other widowed people with the intention of writing a book. Um, this was 16 years ago now. So I thought I was going to write a book about other people's answers to some practical questions that I, I came up with 50 of them. Here I come with my little recorder into (laughs) people's homes. Anybody who would say, yes, I'm widowed. And I will talk to you. I went, um, which ended up taking me all over the country, uh, in this really weird kind of pattern. And, At the end of it all, I realized that the thing that mattered most to me was that every time I sat down with another widowed person, I felt understood in a way that I didn't anywhere else in my life. And that understanding also led to a hopefulness that had been absent for me because nobody knew how to recover from this. And so... It led to the kind of next step for me was how do I offer this opportunity to other widowed people? Because really what it occurred to me was just that we need each other. And if I could somehow set up something where people could come together, mind you, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never run a nonprofit. I didn't, it wasn't even a fully formed idea. I didn't think I'd run a nonprofit. I thought I would write a book. Um, but and now you did both. Yeah, which is funny, because I had long ago given up on the book, I, I had decided in my mind that it was just gonna, it was always supposed to be the community and the book idea was just a, a way to get there. Um, and had really kind of walked away from the book idea at all thinking, I did not have time to both write a book and promote a book and run the organization, do all those things. Um but was convinced otherwise by another widowed friend, um, a wonderful woman, Christine Carlson, who's the widow of Dr. Richard Carlson. You're probably familiar with the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So she and I had a conversation about it. And she said, you know, if you can write for one hour a day, you can get this done. And I just thought, ah, I don't know. Um, but the other thing that's really wonderful is that that transformation from so if it were not for that initial goal, Soaring Spirits wouldn't exist because it was the finding of other people that led to the understanding that the community was the really important part. And then, you know, in the full circle of life, um, the synchronicity was that in building the community, I also built a platform from which I could then convince someone to publish a book. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it ended up, that one net needed the other. And, and actually they both needed each other in ways that I couldn't see at that time. So here we are on the other side of that. And Soaring Spirits International is the organization I founded in order to allow people the opportunity to come together in community around the widowed experience specifically. And then from that, um, I also had the opportunity to meet so many people and to learn so much. And so it, of course, changed the kind of book that I would write. And so, Different After You is really the reflection of my experience from the time my husband died through meeting millions of widowed people. So, Soaring Spirits has helped over 4 million widowed people in the last 14 years. Um, again, never my thought. I thought I was going to start out to write a book and then go on living my life, whatever that looks like. Um, instead, as you said, I s- started a world where what I do, you know, both for a living and for a passion and for a, a vocation is, you know, to serve widowed people and to advocate for them globally.
1: Do you find that there is a difference between how someone's loved one passed and how they, um respond to either other widows are we using widow as the global term for widow and widower is it it is supposed to be a genderless word though most
2: people use it to mean uh people who identify as female we use the word widowed so that that can cover anybody Um, but that's a really great question uh and the answer is definitely yes the way that someone's person died absolutely influences everything about how they interact with both the concept of being widowed, the reality of being widowed, and the way that they process their widowhood as they move forward. You know, just as an example, a most recent example of the COVID-19 deaths, there were so many pieces of that death experience that were Completely abnormal to even our, you know, grief reticent community that we live in here in the United States. <laughs> That's a great um, word. Grief reticent. <laughs> they didn't want anything to do with it if they can avoid it. Right. Um, but right. but even here, right, we do have some traditions and we do have some ritual around death that were just completely unavailable to, to people whose loved one died by COVID. And so That was yet another evolution of the ways in which, you know, for them, many of them didn't get to say goodbye to their person. You know, they weren't there at the time of their death. Many of them also were sick themselves. And so when we saw from our widowed community, as we began serving the COVID-19 widowed community, They were also questioning, was I in my right mind when I was making these choices for my partner, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's no right answer to that. And that's something they will carry for the rest of their life. So of course that means that the way they process their grief is going to include this never being able to understand and know for sure if, or when, or how their, their own illness influenced the way they cared for their person. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example: suicide survivors, homicide survivors, people who um, loved one died of brain cancer. Like, there are just so many different ways in which how your person died influences the way you interact with your widowhood ongoing.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you talk about you address this in the book about grief brain? Um, yes. And I just think about as as you were as I was reading it, I was sort of chuckling to myself, thinking, should it. Should we even change that term to like life's major lifestyle, life transition <laughs> yes, brain or major right. life event brain? Cause I'm right yeah, there with a wonderful absolutely. life event. But um, you know, thinking about all these times where our mind is just fogged. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about? I'm so grateful, Amy, that you said, even brought up the, the idea
2: that right now, while doing something wonderful, your brain is like complete. Because really what it is, it's when our brain is over, when we are overwhelmed, our brain wants to protect us. So it's like.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
2: no more information in here, (laughs) which means that sometimes, especially when you're grieving or processing something really traumatic, you forget things you're suddenly unclicked things that used to come to you easily multitasking becomes nearly impossible you feel like you're not firing on all cylinders and that be- that often leads to the question is there something wrong with me mm-hmm. and because we don't talk a lot about the ways that our body protects us from overload and that really is what grief brain trauma brain you know big event pregnancy brain, brain yeah right? all we of talk that way. Right? there is a there is a physiological element to it, of course, but there's also this set, this way of our brain protecting us from emotional overload. And especially in those early days of a grief or trauma, when you still can't believe what happened. And this happens. I, I also want to just mention, this is a, this is a reality for any person who has a loved one die. It isn't just for sudden deaths because a lot of times we think it is if somebody is preparing for a long time of course they're not going to be shocked but there is still an element um one of my dear friends said it best her husband was dying of ALS and she said, I knew he was dying every day for four years, but he didn't think it was going to be today, mm-hmm. you know, or I didn't think it was going to be this minute. I thought I had five more minutes. And so I love that element of bringing to our understanding the reality that we kind of make assumptions about how people, you know, of course, a sudden death would be shocking, but sometimes a long expected death is also shocking. And then what our body does is says, okay, we need a break from everything else, because this is too big for me to process. And that the huge understanding that this person who has been woven into the fabric of your life is no longer going to be physically present. It's, it's a really big thing to try to understand. And your body's just telling you, okay, I don't have room for anything else. This is too big for me.
1: Well, you said so many important things in, um what you just addressed. And I think a big one is one, the process of grief. Um, and I think that when you are outside of it, looking in, and you are not a grieving person, I think a lot of, or actively grieving person, because I think we're all sort of grieving throughout <laughs> yeah, our lives. Absolutely. Um, but that, that you are not judging where someone else is, which mm-hmm. comes up often. Like, why are they not, they don't see, they seem to be living their life or I saw them out at the grocery store or whatever. And they seemed fine. It's like, the, you know, what you said about the brain can only process maybe small bits at a time, which mm-hmm. is why it can take so long. And sometimes there's th- this new DSM diagnosis right. that I'm, uh, um, I can't, it's not it's not coming to I, my am mind. Am I allowed right to now. say that? Uh yeah, I feel about right. it. Right. That's how I feel about it. If there's well, like a circumscribed time yeah. and then and then yeah. you know. Hurry on. Well, and I think what they you know I think that the
2: intention is to talk about what what is active grieving, right? That's a great way to look at it. What is active grief? How long am I actively grieving and when? And over my lifetime, I will be grieving. But what I like to tell people is the thing about grief is that there are secondary losses that are not a part of the primary experience, that there is no way for us to even begin to understand until they come to us. And so in the book, I talk about holding my late husband's grandchild. It's like, how would I ever have been able to anticipate what that would feel like, you know, eight years after he's dead. And when people are long past me, they think I'm grieving. Like, oh yeah, she's, yeah, I was remarried. So of course I was done grieving in everybody else's mind. Here I am holding his baby, think, crying, thinking he should be alive for this. This should not, this should not be me. This should be him. And so being able to bring, and, and that's one of the things I think when we allow people to speak about their grief, instead of assuming that there's something wrong with them, we begin to better understand that there are long-term effects to the death of someone we love, which means that then when we face that ourselves, we now have a different understanding and a different expectation for ourselves because therein lies the trouble for me. And one of the main points of the book is that we don't want to be changed by grief, We want to pretend like it did not happen in a way that has significantly altered us. And we set ourselves up to say, if I can just be normal, like I was yesterday, then I can survive this grief and I can call it successful. Well, the truth is we are changed by every single thing that happens to us in our lives. It's just that when it's a a really traumatic, difficult thing, Somehow we've set ourselves up for this understanding that we can't be changed. And so we're, you know, I always tell people, we're swimming against the tide because we are being changed. And so all we're doing is spending energy trying to get back to a place that's impossible to return to. When if instead we can give each other the grace and the gift of allowing grief to change us and just learning who this new person is with these new understandings, sure, they may look a lot like the other person, but there are some critical things that are known that weren't known before. And that makes it, that makes it impossible to go back to an exact replica of where we used to be.
1: Well, and, you know, I I wanted to talk more about that because when you're talking about grief, you're talking about in some way, the loss of the person, of your person. But the grief is also about the loss of you. Yeah. And I
2: think that we lose that. And actually, like, you can be both surprised by it. Like, if anybody had told me that before my husband died, I was going to wonder who I was after he died, I would not believe them. Because we had very distinct lives and person I'm mean, of course and we we chose each other and we chose to blend but I didn't think that my sense of self was tied to my marital status. And what I discovered and said was it wasn't just mar- marital status. It was about who is Michelle in the world where Phil exists. And then I have to ask my question who is Michelle in the world where Phil is not physically present? He is no longer a part of her daily life. What does that look like? And that was so surprising to me. Mm-hmm. And I think we underestimate As grieving people, specifically for those who are widowed, this is your partner, right? The person that you share all of your different pieces of your life with. you think it's also true when a parent dies, when a sibling dies, when a friend dies, like we have to, every time a critical person in our life is no longer going to be physically present, we have to reimagine who we are. Because that person, that role they played in our life is no longer being played in the same way. And we have to adapt. And that adaptation is an ongoing life experience. It's not a short term, let's grieve for six months and then be stamped done kind of experience.
1: Mm -hmm. Hi, everybody. I have a new offering that a few of you have taken advantage of so far. And it is a spiritual consultation. So, so many of you had reached out to me with like questions or Wanting to know how to open up more, wanting to know, you know, what you should do in this area of your life or that area of your life that I thought I would just try to offer a new way to connect with me. So these are spiritual consultations. They can be 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. And in that time, we talk about kind of what questions you have, whether it's about opening up more spiritually, whether it's about something in your life, and we really kind of come to an understanding and a conclusion about what the next steps you need to take to achieve that are. Again, this is new to me. I've done a few of them. They are phenomenal. I am so enjoying them. It is not a therapy session, be clear. It is not a therapy session. It is not a medium reading it is somewhere in between. So it is using, we we incorporate meditation and intuition and um, manifestation and intention and all of this in like a very brief period of time, but it has been extremely powerful. And the people that I, I believe that have done it have walked away feeling like they really had something tangible that they could carry with them and um, help them move their life forward. So if this is something you're interested in, please reach out to me. I don't have a lot of, um, spots for them. So I'm only doing maybe one or two a month, but, um, really keeping a wait list for those who are interested. So you can find that on my website. If you want to dramyrobbins.com and you can go on there and click on spiritual consultation and I will get you scheduled. It might be a month or two out, but I am, am trying to get everybody who's interested in. So, go ahead and check that out. If you have any questions, just email me about it through the website as well. How can those of us who are not widowed be supports to those who are? Like, what is the best way to be? Is there a best I way? Love I don't even
2: yeah. I think that the thing is being willing to get to know the new person. Because here's, here's what I hear a lot of times from widowed people. My family and friends just want me to go back to how I used to be. They want to know when I'm going to be that person again. Mm-hmm. That was actually the critical question that came to me that was the cause of the workshop, which became this book. Because a widowed person said to me with like tears just flowing down her face, when can I tell my family I'm going to be myself again? And I remember thinking, just as I'm about to say the words, like, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, but it's never, never, that's the answer. You are never going to be that version of yourself. But if your friends and family are willing to get to know this new person, I am going to bet that they are going to be equally enamored with you and potentially even more so because of what you lived, because of what you now know, because of the perspective you're bringing, doesn't mean that you're always going to be sad and not able to be the funny person you used to be. No, but you need time to come back to that or to rediscover what that looks like for your new person. You probably have a different flavor to your jokes. You have a a different side that includes lightheartedness that has a bittersweetness to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's the trouble is that when the people around a widowed person are like, okay, I'm hoping that pretty soon fill in the blank person is going to be more familiar to me. I encourage you to try to show up for your person without an expectation of how long they're going to grieve or how they're going to grieve, which for the record does not mean that if you're concerned about them, you can't say so you can gently say, I'm worried about you. Like, I don't want to set up a world where you feel like you can't say something to a widowed person in your life that you love and know well, and you think to yourself. So I say know well, because that's a caveat that I think is important. Sometimes when you're a widowed person, the person at the grocery store who only met you once is feels really happy to come up to you and say, sweetie, nobody's going to like you if you can't get that sad look off your face. And so you see that's addressed in the book as well under the fishbowl kind of topic, which Mm -hmm. is how do I take in all of this feedback that people are giving me? But if you are a person who is intrinsic to someone's life and you're concerned about them as a person who loves them, I feel it's your responsibility to say so. That said, it's also an opportunity to get to know who this person is becoming, knowing that it's going to take some time to become.
1: Can you, can you dig in a little bit more to this fishbowl um yeah. concept because i would imagine that when you lose someone in any way but certainly like these tragic younger i call them um like out of order yeah. events right yeah. like if you lose a partner when you're 90 yeah that that looks different to the mm-hmm. outside world than mm-hmm. if you're 35 Right. And especially if you're in a community, a tight knit community, a community where lots of people know each other, you know, what does that feel like? What did that feel like for you? And what do we do about that? Because there is sort of like a point and stare kind of. (laughs) There really is. I'm so
2: glad you said that because I have a sister who looks a lot like me, so much so that if we're in each other's, if we're not next to each other, and in each other's area, you know, then people assume we're the other one. So she was here right after Phil died. She took my car to go get gas. So not only is she in my area, she's in my car, looks enough like me that people could from a distance definitely think it's me. And she came home and she said, do people always look at you like that? And I was like, what a validating experience to my world, my right. friend. She was like, it was awful, and I was like, yes. They always look at me like that. And for the record, I understand that people are they're they're hurting. You know, my husband was very popular in our city. He was a track coach that tracked. Traps coached lots of track kids. So there were parents, there were other coaches, there were community members, like people were missing him. I totally get that. And I understand too, that we sometimes can't control how our face looks because we are horrified. We are sad. We are feeling bad. So, but what that creates, what I like to tell people is that creates a bubble where I exist in the space where everyone's just looking at me. And, and the, the further away the people back up from me, the more space there is between me and you. And now I'm just in a bubble by myself. Mm. And it happens so frequently when people don't know what to say. So they don't know what to say. So they don't say anything. And then not saying anything is a, is a backward step for me. And then another backward step, but they're still got their eyes on me. So I felt very much like a fish in a fishbowl. But then there's the flip side of it, which is like I said, someone at a grocery store telling me that if I didn't wipe that sad look off my face, I was never going to get any more friends because this is a person who felt compelled by my tragic story to reach out and tell me how I should live my life, though she knew me not at all and though I had been widowed for a few months.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: it, it is then true that a lot of times you start getting a lot of feedback. You get feedback from people who really love you and are close to you. You get feedback from people who don't know you at all. You get feedback from everybody in between. And what happened for me was that I got to a place where you just sort of open the doors. Like you feel so alone. It's like, okay, everyone in, everyone come in now suddenly it's like a cackney of like all of this language going on. You're like, okay, too much, too much, everybody out. And now here I am alone. And so it's like, okay, there's gotta be a balance between having too much feedback and having no feedback at all, because Mm -hmm. in order, you know, there are people who love and care about us and in a widowed situation specifically, the person you would usually bounce things off of, right? Your sounding board is no longer available. So now what? If I kick everybody out of my life, I have no sounding board and it's me, myself and I making all the decisions. Um, And so the fishbowl process is is a way of helping you filter feedback based on who the person is that's giving the feedback and what their relationship is with you so that you don't Push away feedback that is valuable because sometimes we need our friends to say, hey, you know, this coping technique is making me worried for you and here's why. And maybe it's a coping technique I need and I'm not giving it up, but it is my job to consider it because you are a person who loves me and in every other circumstance is helping me. I need to at least consider what you say. So it helped me to kind of find a way of saying, okay, here's the people who should have your ear. Here's the people who might need your, you know, maybe they may have some good things to say. And here's the people who you should forget all about, like the lady in the grocery store. Why did I even put her in? Because so often it's a flippant remark from someone who doesn't know us, who can totally steer us off course and make us doubt ourselves, make us doubt our decisions, make us doubt who we are. Because one person said something horrible that doesn't even know us. And we spend an over amount of time being concerned about that. And then when your sister or your best friend says something to you, you're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't spend any time thinking about that. And the reverse should be true. I should not spend any time thinking about what someone says that doesn't know me, but
1: I should seriously
2: consider what someone says who does know and love me.
1: What do you think for you was the key in being able to move forward from this and not be defined by what happened to you integration
2: and when i say integration what i mean is that allowing this experience with Bill and his death his life his death his love our love our life we live together to have a place in my current life because I think that we make a mistake, especially in the United States and, you know, these first world countries. We, so so we are so bad. We're so bad. they <laughs> are so bad. Um, but we make the mistake of thinking that if someone's still talking about their person, there's something wrong with them. Oh, you're not over it. You're never going to get over it. It's not an over it kind of thing. And that's the difference. When you integrate, it means you take it into yourself and you make it a part of who you are. And so that means that every life I build forward from this point, Point forward includes Phil, because how could it not? He was a pivotal part of my life. My life was wrapped around his for the brief five years that we had together if you consider someone else who's widowed and you know we mentioned someone who'd been widowed a long time and their person died imagine your life being wrapped around someone else's for 70 years like who are you after that person dies and if someone were to say to you now don't talk don't talk about that what would you talk about Mm -hmm. it was your whole life and so integration allows and I and I like to point out the book though it is foundationally based on my widowed experience as the trauma that I experienced It's written for anyone who's experienced any kind of trauma because a lot of times we as a, again, the U.S. society wants us not to let traumatic and horrible things have a place at the table. We're supposed to get rid of them. And yet, what do we most learn from? right? We learn so much about ourselves and about the world and about how we process from traumatic events that if we don't give them a place at the table, the next traumatic event, because there is another one coming, we are human beings. It's not that easy to be human, turns out, but we get no. the opportunity, right? We're going to need those tools and resources. And that has been a pivotal part of my personal hearing, healing and knowing and what we offer to other widowed people as they come through the Soaring spirits programs is a space where you don't have to get over it. Instead, you make it a part of your life. Being widowed is a part of my life. I'm also remarried. Being married is a part of my life. You know, being a mother is a part of my life. Being a sister is a part of my life. All of these other things, there is a natural place at the table for, but for some reason, as us grievers we're not allowed to have grief be a part of our life experience and yet as you said earlier we're all grieving at some level we're all grieving something at some
1: point you know at any given day on every mm-hmm. and that's just a part of being human well and you talk about the broken vase and i actually heard this concept years ago i was at a conference about um it, it was the speaker was talking about a couple and when the couple has an affair mm-hmm. that the you basically, it's like you threw a plate at the wall and the plate broke and you can glue the plate back together, but you'll always see the cracks in it. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I've used that analogy in my work and I love it for what you're talking about is the cracks are always there. You will always Mm -hmm. feel the loss of that person. Mm -hmm.
2: And I think that when you can integrate that loss and that death experience into your life, you begin to value the cracks. Mm -hmm. So those cracks are no longer like, oh, look at that horrible piece. Instead, it's a part of the whole, it's, you know, the scars that tell you, you made it. And instead of looking at them and saying, oh, my arm is no longer perfect. You think, oh, thank God I didn't lose my arm. You know, this is the difference in the way that we can look at it, but only if we allow ourselves to integrate the experiences, because when we don't allow ourselves to integrate the experiences, we're constantly trying to like cover up the scar on our arm, Mm -hmm. you know? So it is about accepting and allowing the changes that grief or any traumatic experience um, provides and brings to our life. And that's trouble too. I talk a little bit about in the book, this idea of, not wanting the good things that come with the bad things because the bad thing was so bad. It's like, okay, well, if this is a gift that came from my death experience, I don't want it. Well, here's the thing, the death experience already happened and either, and that's not going to change. So either you accept and utilize the gift or you just leave it sitting there on the table because you don't want it, but it doesn't change anything except Mm -hmm. that you don't get the gift Mm
1: -hmm. because
2: the death is not changing. And so Sometimes we have this narrative that that anything good that came from something bad is also bad. And so I hope to separate that for people and say the bad thing happened, that is always going to be bad, no matter what good comes from it. It's still inherently not a positive experience, not one you chose, not one you want. But if we separate the gifts of that, then the gifts can have their own life within our, our longer narrative instead of just always saying, okay, yeah, nothing good came from that. Nothing good came from that. Because I don't believe that's true. I think often there are many good things that come from it. Of course we want them a different way. Of course mm-hmm. we don't want the bad thing to have happened, but they don't cancel each other out.
1: How do you not feel guilty moving forward? I think everybody
2: I've ever met struggles with some level of, you know, oh i i'll use the word guilt cuz i think that that there is a, a significant amount of that but i think there's also underneath guilt can also be regret just a regret that you know the person that died didn't get to meet the person you are today or that the person that died didn't get to do the things that you're doing. And so sometimes it's not even that I feel bad about it so much as I'm just sad for them that they don't get this and that we didn't get that together. So I think sometimes guilt and regret go hand in hand. Um, And I think at the end of the day for me, it's a process through which we each need a step, right? And, and it will look different for everyone. So let's go back to our COVID-19 widowed people. Many of them have expressed this sense of guilt. One, maybe because they survived and their person didn't. Two, because they are not certain about the choices that they made and they feel guilty about the choices they made while making the best choice they could possibly have made in the moment with what they had available to them and so it is a process that we each have to make our way through and depending on your level of guilt and depending on your level of regret you may need help with that because sometimes we're not our best advocates right like we can tell ourselves all kinds of horrible stories and then if another person outside person asks a different question you're like oh I never thought of it that way because we get stuck in that track of guilt and regret. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I think knowing that me not having a life, not creating something from what happened, wasn't gonna change what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people when I was. And then it's like two people died. Yeah. And I think for some people that feels good. Like they think to themselves, that's great. I want to be dead too. I don't like this life. And even if I don't actively, I'm not actively suicidal, I don't actively want to participate in life. And I think that that can be a normal part of the experience, but that what we each have to come to in our own time is like me making the choice not to live is not bringing him back to life. Mm -hmm. And that is always going to be true. And so every day that I am unable to choose life for myself, and by that I mean a full and meaningful life, Mm -hmm. is another day that I've lost of my chance of having a full and meaningful life for myself. And sometimes that's just a part of the deal. Sometimes I need those lost days. It's kind of like snow day or a rain day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here in California, you know, if it rains, everybody goes, (laughs) everybody has to stay home because we can't drive in the rain. But it is an interesting, you know, process for each person. And I think it's so unique depending on how guilty you feel, what kind of regret you have, what you need. But I, I just continue to point out that me not living didn't bring him back to life. Mm-hmm. And that just meant that I was the only one being robbed. He's certainly not being robbed. Um, it's, it's just me and the people around me who will benefit from me
1: engaging and being an active part of a life. A couple of times you said non-physical body or in yeah. a physical body. Yeah. What do you, what do you believe happens when we die?
2: I believe that we have the opportunity to have an ongoing connection with people who have died and that um, looks different for everyone based on their belief system. And, and also in part, sometimes their willingness, you know, mm-hmm. um, I count myself in that category from the the standpoint of, I I talk to Phil all the time. Uh, my dad recently died. I talk to my dad all the time. Like I, I feel like we are less if we do not allow the people who have died to continue to be a part of our lives and that we can access their voices in, in a bunch of different ways based on our personal beliefs and our comfort level. Um, for me, it has been a continual conversation. I never stopped talking to him, um, sometimes out loud, sometimes in my head. Sometimes I hear his voice, you know, in, in a moment where I know he would think this was funny or this was, a, you know, a hard thing or, you know, just just looking for a continued connection. And I have to say that I think that's one of the ways that we can support ourselves as we grieve and that my definition of an ongoing connection with our person is super broad. And that could be anything from writing them a letter to continuing to have a pictures out, you know, just not trying to cut them off of our lives and act as if they did not exist or that they don't still influence us because everybody we love influences us, whether or they're alive or dead and being able to allow that and find ways that work for you, that are comfortable for you to continue that connection with your loved one is one of the best ways I know to integrate the loss into your life. They're not physically present, which means they're not coming in the door. They're not going to come to the graduation. They're not here to wish you a happy Mother's Day or for you to wish them a happy Mother's Day. But you do have the opportunity to continue to maintain a connection with them and in doing so not have lost them entirely.
1: Wow, this was a great interview. Um, If people are interested in learning more about you and your work, can you tell us exactly where we can find you?
2: Yeah, I would love to share for anybody who is a widowed person and looking for support, you can find Soaring Spirits International at soaringspirits.org. Um, All things program-related and how we build communities for widowed people and research-based programs to support people as they build a new life can be found there. And then if you want to interact about the book or talk to me about a different type of experience, another kind of traumatic experience that you feel the book can can be a support to you, you can find my website, michellenefhernandez.com. And my mom liked the French spelling of Michelle, so it only has one O.
1: Well, thank you Michelle so much for your time today the book is different after you it is a wonderful guide it's an easy read it's a quick read so um, I highly recommend it so thank you so much Michelle oh, it's a joy thank you so much Amy thanks so much like what you heard today and want to hear more wondering what comes next and what it all means